I hope that people will read this and be so sort of surprised by the tone, so put off that they will go investigate actual Christianity. Welcome to the Stand Firm Podcast. I'm Nick Lannon of Grace Anglican Church in Louisville, Kentucky, and you have found week three, the final week, of our Stand Firm book club on Kristen Cobus Dumais' Jesus and John Wayne. Over the past two episodes, Anne, J.D., and Rolinda have discussed Dumais' fundamental thesis— that white male evangelicals are the cause of all the world's problems. And they've also discussed the meaning of evangelicalism and how it impacted communism, Vietnam, the responses thereto, and so-called hyper-masculinity, among many other things. Today, they conclude their discussion. Now, if you don't know our valiant conversation participants yet, they are Anne Kennedy of the Anglican Church of the Good Shepherd in Binghamton, New York, J.D. Koch of Christ Anglican Church in Mount Pleasant, South Carolina, and Rolinda Greger of my own church, Grace Anglican in Louisville. Let's jump right into their discussion. Here's J.D. Okay, so because this is the last of our installment, by God's mercy, we have reached the bitter end. I think, uh, Anne, since you, you, I'm surprised uh, since you didn't have any direct association with this like I did. I mean, I know some of these people personally, um, like Eric Metaxas, for instance, but um, my reaction to it seems to be slightly less vitriolic or, or sort of visceral than, than yours even, which I'm, which I'm grateful for. I mean, I think anyone who reads this book with anything other than questioning contempt, you know, is, is part of the problem, not the solution. But, but anyway, so I think it's fair to give it to you. So what, what do you think fundamentally would be a, um, a flaw that you think um, this book sort of uh, has that, that, that needs to be addressed at the very least in, in its second printing, of course? In its second printing, right. I'm sure she will come in and make adjustments based on what we've, we've been saying. That's right. She's been taking here. copious notes. That's right. Yes. <laughs> I, you're right. I, I, I wasn't around for this kind of Christianity. I have experienced it at a distance. And so, you know, I guess in that sense, maybe everything that I have to say is not worth hearing. I guess for me, as usual, it's an aesthetic issue. Whatever it is that she's describing in no way resembles Christianity for me. Right. And I'm a, I'm trying not to be offended in this new outrage culture, but I'm offended that she, as a scholar, apparently is unable to articulate what Christianity is. What, what is it that Christians actually believe? What really did motivate them? It feels to me, I mean, I just wrote a long thing about gaslighting on the internet. This entire book is one big yes. gaslight where you go up in the attic and turn the light down and bang around and then come down and say, you know, what's your problem? Why are you so angry? What's wrong with you? you why are you so hateful? Where, where, so it's what, how many pages is it? It's a, it's, it's like for many, many, many pages of, of saying, you know, well, this is what I just see. I'm just telling you what I see. And so look at all the misogyny and the racism. That's right. And you on the inside of it are like, wait a minute. You know, I don't know. No, I know people. I'm a Christian. I, I'm not racist. Like I actually know people of color, which is such an 
I think offensive way of talking about people, but whatever. I, I have, I have real relationships with people. I am married to a man, you know, who is actually a man. How, you know, she wants me to go crazy. Right. You know, she's gaslighting me. She wants me to go nuts and start screaming. So then she can say, look, yeah, look how crazy and bad that well, person is. And exactly. And, if you follow her on Twitter, like all of the retweets are basically people saying, you know, this, which is a very, very clever uh, tweet, by the way. Yeah, that's Usually so clever. With a, with, a, with a pointy finger. Um, yeah. or, um, or people saying something like, you know, this so describes my childhood. I can't believe, you know, it's it's making so much sense of my, you know, of my adolescence or something is in, in a negative way, one assumes. And it's really quite something to watch. And I, um, you know, I just wonder, like, was it really that bad? I mean, now and again, I grew up in it. Um, and, you know, of course, I was spared, gratefully, from some of the the obvious abuses that she chronicles and no one and people were aware of, you know, people were, were not unaware of these things. And yet, in general, many of the things that she describes were quite quite life-giving, you know, like we said before, the Promise Keepers movement. I mean, the the books on being an adolescent in a porn-saturated and increasingly um, sort of sexually degraded world, like that was an important conversation to be had. It was a, as we pointed out on other podcasts, it was a new one. You know, I feel for youth ministers in the in the 80s and 90s who all of a sudden were were navigating a, a landscape that was was unimaginable to previous generations. You know, it was like you used to have to go to Bourbon Street, literally to Bourbon Street, to to get into some serious trouble. And now all of a sudden, Bourbon Street was brought to your um, to your computer screen. Um, and you know, and not just with pornography, it was it was betting. You know, online gambling. It was betting. It was you know, all sorts of a new world was before us. And that there were some fits and starts is to be given some mercy, I think, but there's no mercy. There's, there's no mercy, no, no grace and no forgiveness in this book at all. And I think that points back to your point, Anne, is that this very, that whatever sort of Christianity or quote unquote evangelicalism is purported to be on the other side of this, what is being described is something that is as foreign to me as perhaps she thinks the, the people she's describing. And I think that goes back to you know, this is a really is a century old imprint debate about um, from J. Gresham Machen about his book at the turn of the century, um, Christianity or liberalism, you know, and I think that there's it's not a political thing. It's not a political statement because there's people, um, you know, the pol political divisions uh, move the spectrum uh, by generations almost, it seems. But there is a there is a decided thread of people who 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 rigorously attempt to um, submit themselves to the Bible and then people who, who don't. And if that's, if that's, if this book is further clarifying that divide, well then, then so be it, I think. I just as a, a quick, I, I wanna hear, uh, Relinda, you need to talk, but the, it's the ultimate gaslight to be told that Hillary Clinton is a good evangelical. Like that, just saying that, which she does and that, President Obama, who who blasphemed marriage, who was so on the side of abortion that you can't even get more on the side of abortion, that he was a good Christian, means that, you know, she's just, that's just a lie. That's that's the gaslighting lie. She's just lying about why people are motivated to to believe and do the things they are. So 
I have no quarter for that. If you're going to just lie, then I don't, why do I have to engage with this text in a serious way? If um, no one would accept me going online and just lying about other people, but it's okay for her to do that because she's white, female, and on the left. So that it's okay for her. The thing that, that really got to me, you know, she blasted evangelicals for spreading the gospel. You know, she, she thought it was horrible that they were trying to, um, well, of course, she used Mikey Weinstein's uh, terminology, proselytizing, but spreading the gospel, which is, is commanded in the Bible. She went really hard against modesty. And I, I know there are a lot of young women these days that, you know, are really offended about modesty, uh, maybe because they think it's not all on them. And, and I can understand that. But there's something to be said for being modest. And when you have a world and um, a fashion industry where you cannot find decent clothes for your teenage daughter, I can see why things like purity culture would come into being. And, you know, with our own daughter, who is now almost 29, you know, we had a hard time finding clothes for her that didn't put it all out there. And, and, we, and we would see other girls whose moms obviously didn't go shopping with them. And that was always a, you know, <laughs> a bit of a problem. Also, the political activism of evangelical Christians, she decries that over and over again. But of course, all of us are refugees from the Episcopal Church. And who is, you know, the Episcopal Church has so many resolutions every time they have general convention that have nothing to do with the church and have everything to do with politics and changing the world into their image of left-leaning, mainline sort of Christianity and that was never mentioned. Right. It, it was almost a couple times, and I really don't like to channel Trump, but a couple times I was reading this and I thought, she's just mad because we're winning. <laughs> 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 and that, that's sad. That's really sad. Well, that's a really good point, Rolinda, because I think the 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 idea that that somehow well first that somehow christians should or could be apolitical is a joke and the decrying the politics of christians with whom you disagree is as old as i mean that's not just that's not just on the left of course you know we can decry the politics of people uh, perhaps who have more progressive um, political ideas um, and i think that the the problem is is that it's not acknowledged you know because you know as you said before we've been a Churches. I think, was it Mike Horton or someone who said something like 20 years ago in, a, in an early White Horse Inn, he said, you know, people have a hard time going to a church where, where the Bible is confusing, obscure, and contradictory, and yet what is certain and without question are, you know, whatever the current political uh, leanings of the day are, you know, and usually, um, of course, in the Episcopal Church, those were almost always just sort of handed down from the um, Millennium Development Goals or whatever those were, you know, which was a subset of the, of the UN. You know, I, I I, I think that's part of the the again <laughs> the gaslighting is that when when for instance someone is 
um, anti-abortion, that is seen as, a, as an appropriate political statement over against the clear, non-political, Jesus-saturated virtue of, you know, human autonomy and choice, you know, for instance. Or, or if someone is, is pro-Second Amendment, for instance, you know, just because they are sort of federalists or constitutionalists or whatever, they are seen as, as irredeemably uh, white, supremacy, white supremacists and, um, and violence-hungry over against the Jesus-saturated value of pacifism and, you know, non-militarized, uh, you know, resistance or whatever the case is. And you could just go down the list of things. And that's part of the that's part of, I don't know if, if it's, it's certainly the problem, but I don't know what the resolution is, because if that's how we're going to talk about this, well, then we're not going to have a very long conversation. Because if, if it is so self-evident that, um, you know, that, that for instance, well, she talks about militarism all the time, that being, being pro, um, or like being, being part of a, um, uh, of a discussion where you are going to allow for the interventionist use of military force from America around the world, you're just going to have that conversation conversation, if that automatically labels you as a, as a Christian nationalist, you know, or as a white, a white evangelical patriarchal Christian nationalist, then I don't know where we go from there. I don't know where the conversation goes. And I think that's part of the problem with this book is that in one of the re earlier reviews I read, I think it was in Mere Orthodoxy, I can't remember, but it said, you know, the problem with this book is that if she wanted to have a conversation, she's, she's so offending or at least caricaturing the people with whom she purportedly wants to talk that, that it's not going to be a starter for anyone. It's going to be a victory lap for people who already agree with her. And it's going to make people like me, for instance, uh, very suspicious of her actual motivations, because, you know, I'd love to have a conversation about, about why there were so many men that flocked to Promise Keepers, why there were so many Christian women who, who flocked to conferences on being good wives, why there were so, why James Dobson gained such prominence, you know, what was going on in the culture and what was forcing Christian people to, to be afraid for the sake of their sons, you know, I mean, a book after book written about boys mm -hmm. and their developmental problems and their, their attitude problems. And then the rise of, of all of these psychotropic drugs and medicines that people were, were, were being forced to put on, or at least being, being suggested to, to, to counteract all of these actual problems. And so again, we come back to the same pro same situation is, is no one is denying the, the reality of a problem, but the, 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 where she is laying the blame is just so laughably reductionistic and, and sort of, and, and, and sad, frankly, that it's, it's hard to take the book seriously. And, you know, I think we, we are doing our best, but I mean, for instance, Relinda, you're a perfect example. You know, she, she turns the air force Academy because of its, you know, connection to James Dobson and focus on the family in part and some of the other people into a, a exhibit supposedly for this white Christian nationalism or something. I mean, and you went there for goodness sakes. I mean, how did you, right. how did you read that? Well, it, it was interesting because I guess the, the ministries flocking to Colorado Springs started in the 50s. Um, and of course, Dobson moved uh, focus on the family out of California because the taxes were too high. It's and a really I, nice place, Colorado Springs, just to be fair. Yeah. <laughs> well, and if you compare it to California, cost of living is uh, better, at, at least certainly, um, well, still. But at the time when all these ministries were moving in, like around when Dobson did, you know, they were escaping California and high taxes. And, and it was a 
nice place to live. Um, the fact that these ministries were, quote, praying on the military, um, I think the word really is ministering. Uh, you know, that's what an evangelical does. They share the gospel. Uh, she kind of lumped all of these groups together, uh, navigators, officers, Christian fellowship, uh, which are great ministries. And actually one of my commanders, you know, I'm 60 years old and one of my commanders who's, I don't know, 10 or 15 years older, he was a member of officers, Christian fellowship. I didn't see him, um, proselytizing anyone that was quite a while ago they brought up the academy and the information about the academy a lot of it comes from a guy named Mikey Weinstein who's an academy grad and he runs a, a freedom from religion uh, basically a, an atheist religious freedom organization um and they complain. Now, some of the things that they complained with that were so hurtful were going on when I was a cadet. For instance, on Sunday, you could go to chapel during that first summer when you're in basic training. You could go to chapel on Sunday morning, or you could shine shoes, clean your room, get yelled at because you were available in your room. So what's the choice? Uh, and, and it at certain times, if you weren't in your room, you'd go out with heathen flight and maybe practice marching. Now, I wasn't a Christian when I went to the Air Force Academy. When I heard about the heathen flight thing, I thought it was hilarious. But some people are really offended by that. I, you know, I thought it was pretty funny. And I guess over the years, people have uh, really taken that as a serious insult. Uh, they talked about uh, Johnny Weeda, the uh, commandant, and how he said warrior all the time. And that was like this. <laughs> Two people who were flying F-16s. He was, he was, he was calling yes. them warriors. Well, I see the problem clearly now. I'm glad she, she really exposed that one. Well, it was like supposedly this hidden message from some Christian book that used the term. And he said it so many times that the cadets would count it and joke about it. But you know, the Air Force totally calls everybody a warrior. It's warrior this, it's warrior that. That hasn't stopped. Um, it, we are the warriors. We have the airplanes. We have all those drones that Obama used extensively during his term. I noticed that wasn't mentioned. and. And I, deep down, I have to admit that I think we call ourselves warriors because the other services joke about us being the chair force. So, <laughs> so there you have it. We you know, really insight into the into the armed forces uh, right not, there. Thank you. Yeah, not a lot of hand-to-hand -hand combat. Now, I do know some of those criticisms were warranted. I think, um, you know, people were pushing Bible studies on on cadets so um you know just like you don't sell essential oils or you don't uh, uh sell amway to your subordinates you probably should not um 
push religion on your subordinates, but there, there is a way to make those things available. And there were all kinds of outside groups in churches um, that were ministering to cadets. When you're in a situation like that, that is so stressful, and you are gonna be making life and death decisions in your future, uh, what do you want those people to have as a compass? What do you want those people to have to, to, um, to keep them strong and to keep them directed and to have a purpose that is beyond themselves? Uh, certainly faith in Christ and the gospel is to me what I would hope that, um, or, or faith of any kind, uh, you know, sincere religious faith seems to be a worthy uh, purpose and, and direction in a young person's life, especially if they're uh, secular and self-centered. But anyways, yes. I thought that was an unfair uh, bash on Colorado Springs and then the New Life Church. I'm not sure the New Life Church was a big thing at the academy. I think kids were going all over to church. So she really kind of blew that out of proportion. I think the the whole, the way that she describes, well, the, the whole book itself, it, it really does illumine the cultural divide that we now have. That's right. So for instance, I just think it's ironic and interesting that she upholds Hillary Clinton as a good Christian but Hillary, you know, did a, she shilled, she, she, she built her whatever kind of empire, it's not really an empire, but her, her whole shtick was that she out front for women could achieve that by, on the one hand, victimizing actual women. And on the other hand, holding up the victimization of women um, as a good thing. You know, like the the sort of tangled irony of Hillary Clinton being the person to whom we're all supposed to look. Little girls are supposed to be excited and and delighted by Hillary Clinton. Um, and Ruth Bader Ginsburg. I'm Ruth with RGB. Ginsburg. I saw a little girl wearing a T-shirt like that at the at the park the other day. Yeah, I just find that uh, interesting because. I, as of speaking as a woman, um, am offended by the weakness and the victimization that characterizes now whatever feminism is. I think that's one of the reasons why conservative women hype up their own femininity. They, you know, overdress in towards the sex option. They, they tout how beautiful women are supposed to be, how feminine, um, because they're offended by the idea that being female is now really weak mm. um, and pathetic, and that we need Madam Hillary to come and save us from all the terrible men, as if we couldn't deal with men on our own. That's the divide. It's an aesthetic you know, conservative women looking at the progressive 
uh, option of feminism is it's 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 ugly nobody wants it mm. <laughs> and while we're being told that we are wicked and racist and bad uh, because we like men and we want men to be, be men or we want the military to be the military or we want things to be in their proper spheres we're wicked um, but and we should depend on this sort of uh, fainting and I would say pathetic feminineness that can't recover from being offended can't recover from abuse can't recover from people doing bad things sometimes, um, can't recover from an, a, 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 an oppressive uh, preacher who told you stuff about what you should wear. I just, you know, no one can get over that. No one can deal with how horrifying that was. There's no way back from that horrific offense. Right. <laughs> I, I find that terrible and funny, but also just terrible. Hmm. Yeah, that's a really good point, Anne. I mean, I think there's a, there's a, um, you know, your your point, particularly about the divide, just becoming clearer and clearer, is is perfectly illustrated by that between the, the the two types of women, uh, because of course, you know, I'm listening to you talk, and of course, I'm just hearing the rejoinder being, well, of course, you'd say that, you know, of course, you know, you've been you poor benighted soul, you've been you've been brainwashed and you know bought into this patriarchal lie and this whole. Um, you know, your sort of case in point for who needs to be rescued, you know, this would be the kind of the idea. Uh, and I think that's, again, that's just pointing to such a deep cynical sadness um, for the, the quote unquote, uh, this, this quote unquote inter-Christian conversation, because again, I don't think that we are really recognizing each other as um, brothers and sisters in Christ across this divide. Uh, because for instance, <clears throat> back to your point, Rolinda, you know, I would unabashedly say that the world, that our our goal as Christians is to evangelize the entire world. Like, this is not, I will proselytize till I lose my final breath. Like, I will spend each and every moment of my waking life in every possible relational situation trying to witness to the resurrected Lord and bring people into his saving embrace. And so if I'm the commandant of the Air Force Academy as a Christian, that is my primary objective, whatever else I'm supposed to be doing with uh, with my job, quote unquote, is secondary to my vocation as a Christian. And this is something that that goes, I mean, that that a quote unquote Christian would find that problematic is is makes you again, go back to Machen, like are we we're not talking about the same faith now to be sure. Christianity, with few exceptions, has has never been um, uh, sort of militarized and violent conversion. I mean, there have been epochs where people, and we can point to them, and we've learned from them, and it certainly is not the the rule. The exception has been um, to be somewhat much more akin to um, a militarized conversion, but the, the rule of Christian evangelism has been from 1 Peter 3, is to be prepared with a ready defense for the hope that you have. And it turns out that there are hopeless people out there who are looking for this hope. And yes, that hope involves a, a belief in a creator who formed and molded us in specific ways and has not left us without a guide as to how the how we then shall live. I mean, this is what the Bible is about. And so if you disagree with that, well, then that's fine. But don't 
I have absolutely no apologies about expecting and wanting our political leaders to be Christians, um, the, my, all the way down to the, to the garbage men, you know, or whatever. Like every single civil servant in, in the world, in, in, in the government would be better. It would be better, in my opinion, if they were Christians, not because that's a, that's a qualitative difference, but because I think that there's, there's a new life found in Christ that, that directs and guides and, and influences your every decision. And so, you know, this idea that that we need to be apologetic as Christians about about wanting other people to become Christians is 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 a joke. Now, of course, I will apologize if someone brutally manipulates and and, um, you know, sort of uh, tries to to get someone to convert by any means other than by the power of the spirit. But short of that, then we're, we're brothers in, in Christ. I mean, I have a friend that works for the Navigators who spent his time in like the Merchant Marines or something. And he would go to these ships uh, that came through uh, from all over the world. <clears throat> and he would bring lunches to these, you know, often foreign people. And, you know, they had broken English and he would go and he would just simply share lunch with them and start talking to them about his life. And turns out he's a Christian and he was doing this on purpose to to introduce them to Jesus. And he had a long and, and sort of storied ministry of many, many people going back to, you know, uh, their various places they came from with a Bible and a glimmer of hope in Christ. And God only knows what sort of uh, fruit that is bearing even now, you know, I mean, this sort of contempt and disdain she has for the Elliot's, you know, for um, Elizabeth Elliot and, and her husband. And we see that even manifested now in Wheaton, you know, you saw that they took down the, the plaque that commemorated his, his um, death. Uh, what was his name? It wasn't Elizabeth. What was uh, uh, the, the Elliot's Elizabeth Elliot and her husband? Was it Jim? Jim. Jim. <clears throat> right. Yeah. Well, there's a plaque at Wheaton that said that he had brought the gospel to the savages. Well, that was taken down because savage was considered, I guess, not unlike the heathen flight to be a um, pejorative designation. And again, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily, I don't think you could make that plaque today, but the broader question of whether or not what he was doing was right, meat and right, i.e. bringing the gospel to people that did not know it and therefore bringing a culture that they were unaware of and therefore um, ultimately seeing those sort of cultural structures to be uh, instituted in places where they weren't otherwise, like there's a fundamental disagreement about whether or not that's a good thing. And we see this across the board. I mean, when you bring the Bible into a, into a culture and it's believed, well, then you're going to start seeing a sifting out of how men and women are related, how families are comported, how um, sex is regulated, what things should or should not be celebrated. I mean, that's going to happen. And when people, when that begins to happen and you disagree with it, well, then you start sounding alarms and this book is is an alarm um, sort of a, a to to anyone who thinks that that was good in any way. You know, well, here's what really happened, um, because you may be tempted in the midst of your hopeless, godless, um, you know, despairing uh, third um, serial um, uh, sort of monogamous relationship that because because, of course, marriage is a patriarchal, outdated Christian concept. You may at some point think that what those people are doing across town on Sunday morning is interesting. Well, here, here's a book, just, just in case you thought you were ever tempted, um, because they're, um, they're to be avoided like the plague. And, you know, well, maybe so, or maybe that's what you think. 
but I'm more than happy to inhabit the world that she has great contempt for, and I will continue to inhabit it. And hopefully it will grow. Um, and I trust, in fact, it will continue to grow much larger than this, this sad uh, little cynical one. I hope that people will read this and be so sort of surprised by the tone, so put off that they will go investigate actual Christianity. Amen. It's such an unfair <clears throat> and um, is a word I'm looking for, hubristic screed that I hope that people will look at it, read it, and then think, wow, I wonder, you know, is it possible that she's biased? Maybe I shouldn't, maybe I should check this out and see what's <laughs> really there. And maybe I should try reading the Bible because maybe, maybe, you know, is God really this wicked? Is the scripture really that terrible? Are men really that evil? Are women really that pathetic and weak? Um, maybe there's something else underneath this that someone's trying to steer me away from and I should go find out what it is. Amen. Amen. Yeah, I mean, she she gets to it to the end, and in the conclusion, she she points out, she says that rather than seeing culture as pitted against theology, however, we should treat the interplay between the two as what ultimately defines evangelicalism. So she does, in fact, give us a definition at the end, and I think that that's actually a fair place to land with um, with our entire discussion of the differences here, because nobody at least she's admitting i hope that if evangelical and remember she used that in in reference to hillary clinton as well as james dobson which could sort of be two ends of a you know cultural spectrum you could argue um but but both of those people and i think are arguing that there is a political reality meaning simply a a uh, culture affecting reality to your fundamental religious and theological convictions and so if that fun if that arguably was the 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 end result of this book well then that could have been beneficial at least to say here's where the logical ends of your Christian theological assumptions are going to take you. We disagree with those assumptions and the ends, and yet we would like to talk about them. That's one way of doing it, um, because she's at least acknowledging that there is going to be um, a political reality to your, to your theology. I mean, I had a conversation with a with someone uh, a couple of years ago when sort of these type arguments were just beginning against white evangelical Protestants or whatever. And, and he was intimating that he was of a, an evangelicalism that unlike the one that purportedly I was, I was uh, re representing, um, didn't just think going to heaven was the point of Christianity, but in fact needed to see social activism as, as part of the gospel. Now, as someone who from an earliest age remembers walking, marching and pro life marches, you know, from like when I was six or seven, I was like, I, I didn't resemble that remark at all. I said, well, that's quite interesting because I was raised to understand that that politics was just a natural outgrowth of, of your societal, um, you know, responsibilities, which were funded, founded and based in Christian convictions. And so, you know, what it actually seems to be the case is we, we disagree about those. We disagree about what is in fact um, meet and right. So to do as we pray and and that's the conversation that I really like to have. But unfortunately, it's 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 reached a point. And I think this book and I'm sure there are books that are equally dismissive on the other side. I just don't I don't read them for whatever reason. But it's reached a point where we are simply um, observing, walking around each other as oddities in a 
you know, some sort of strange Martian zoo that we've been planted in. And we're not communicating at all about this. And I don't know if there's really a way to do it. It's been a century or more of divide in America that has been, um, the lines have been drawn. And perhaps we're simply at the end of the, of the attempt to make sense of each other and, and finally coming to, a, to an agreed disagreement about what constitutes evangelicalism, what constitutes proselytizing, what constitutes Christianity. And, you know, I think uh, this past couple of years for a lot of us have uh, lessened the, um, the denominational divides to the extent that they were important in our lives. You know, some of the, the debates, some of the debates that I'm having um, or some of the, 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 the sort of co-belligerents that I found are people that, you know, four or five years ago, I would never have considered or I wouldn't have thought about listening to sermons or going to conferences or sort of, you know, locking arms with. But now, in many ways, I, you know, I'm finding... Um, friends in, in all various places. I was about to say low places, but that's not, that's not fair to the song or the people, but, but, um, and I'm grateful for that. And so if this book, if this book actually just helps further clarify that as kind of offensive and snarky as it was, then, then maybe that is one positive to it. You know, you could sort of say, you know, an entry point into a, um, a, a friend feed, you know, <laughs> do you want to be my friend? Well, what is your take on, on Jesus and John Wayne? Thumbs up, thumbs down. You know, it's yeah. very clear litmus test here for uh, how far along the uh, intimacy track to friendship we're going to go. Um, and, and so I don't know. I mean, but I think, I think you're right. And I think that there's a, there's a world there's a different world being described here by someone there, there's a, there's a, yeah, by someone who didn't inhabit it, has an idea of who these people are, doesn't seem to know many of them with any, in any, would have an affection for any of them. And, and frankly is presenting an alternative that I have no interest in, um, in inhabiting. And, um, and so I think at the very least, the clarifying aspect of this book has been helpful in that respect. You know, it, it is helpful. I think some of that chapter on all the abuses, the, the leaders that um, went wrong, I think uh, from my perspective, that is helpful if, in, if in no other reason that it gives you as a Christian uh, in a church, it kind of gives you a, a broad brush of, of everything that has happened um, and that can go wrong to be alert for those things. If you have an abusive leader, how do you guard against sexual abuse? How do you make sure that your leaders are, are acting in an upright manner and, and treating people with respect? I think it, people expect that those things don't happen. So when you when you see it in black and white, this happened, this happened, this abuse, um, it's very sobering, but, but you need to watch for the signs of that. You know, I was in a church where we had a minister that, that was trolling the parks for men, and it was shocking when that was revealed. We, we really didn't see the signs. So that is helpful to know about that, and I think you know, in our situation, being in the ACNA, I believe the ACNA is working really hard to make sure that we don't have abuses of power, that we don't have issues of abuse and uh, 
sexual scandals among the the clergy, and those have been dealt with, and th- and that's a good thing. That that um, helps me feel comfortable that that uh, when this happens, it will be dealt with and it won't be swept under the rug. So I think this is this is coming to the end of our. We're not going to talk about this book anymore. <laughs> God. Praise God, and. Um, I think that if people want to read the book, they should, they should, uh, they should keep notes. And I, I think that they should also, I mean, the the hope that I have, I guess, um, the, the bad thing about being a Christian right now is that we are being pushed into a howling wilderness outside of the margins of acceptable thought and belief uh, we are being at, we're being put beyond the pale. We're being made into people who are unacceptable and unallow- not, not allowable and in normal and civilized discourse. And if that's the way that, quote, progressive Christians want to play this, uh, I welcome them to do that because, you know, go out into the wilderness and you'll find that God is God and Christians who trust him don't have to save themselves don't have to become less white don't have to repent of things that aren't sins don't have to um, strive to save themselves forever they have a christ who is god who is holy who is good who is merciful and who is loving who will forgive them of all their sins who will feed them and uh, that's the Christ that we've always had for the last century, evangelicals. Right. And uh, he mm-hmm. hasn't stopped being God just because of this book. Like he didn't see John Wayne and <laughs> suddenly think, oh, no, who am I? I need to repent of my masculinity. That didn't happen. So, you know, read the book. But then, as you said, J.D., find common cause with people who really believe and build a rich and generous and forgiving um, community of people who uh, are who really know what love and really know what inclusion looks like amen well i don't think anyone could say it better than that ann so jesus and john wayne if we had if we had rights to the music we could end with that song but there we go linda you want to hum a few bars no. no, you don't want me to sing. All right, well, all right, guys. Well, when the next book comes that is causing such a stir, maybe we'll do this again, but it's been a joy. And um, I'm sure Nick will have something to say as we go out. Well, there you have it. Thanks for listening to Stand Firm this week and for sticking with us through this extended look at Jesus and John Wayne. It sounds like this particular conversation is over, but if you want to be in touch with us, you can rate and review the podcast on iTunes, send us an email at mailbag at standfirminfaith.com, or join the Anglicans for the Gospel Facebook group. Thanks to Ann Kennedy, J.D. Koch, and Rolinda Greger. I'm Nick Lannon, and J.D., Matt, and I will be back in the saddle, pun intended, next week. Until then, by the grace of God and Jesus Christ, we'll be standing firm. Mm -hmm.